I was getting ready for church last night and uh, my wife and I were talking about what we were all going to wear as a family because we want to get our picture taken together out in the commons in front of the, uh, the flower wall. And my oldest son, Jack, was behind me playing Legos in another room and I heard him say, you look nice, dad. And I thought that was good. And so I turned around to say thank you to him. And then we made eye contact and he looked at me and he said, don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> those, uh, those were the words of encouragement that my nine-year-old son gave me as I left for church last night. So I assume they still apply today as well, even though he didn't say it this morning. Uh, well, my name is Andrew Philbeck. I'm in charge of the group's ministry here at Mount Pleasant. Um, and uh, it's my opportunity. I'm excited about this opportunity to uh, begin a new series with you as we go through the book of Romans. You can go ahead and turn or find Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. You can just hold your place there. Uh, we're going to read that text in a moment. Uh, one of the things that you should know about this series through Romans is that it is not going to be verse by verse. We're not going to go verse by verse through this, uh, this book, this letter, or anything like that. We are going to look at each chapter and uh, pull out the main topic, the main theme that we see in each chapter. And that's what we're going to use as a way to kind of progress through this letter during this series. Uh, but before we do that, before we read our main text, I want to do something a little bit different, and I kind of wonder if this is why my son told me not to make a fool of myself, um, because I want you to listen to part of a conversation from a book that I have called The Great Divorce. It's a, it's a C.S. Lewis book. Maybe some of you have heard of it or even read it. It's not very long, and like so much of Lewis's work, it's an allegory, and in this story, he talks about heaven and hell. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit of background, uh, bear with me. Uh, but in this story, uh, the main character finds himself at the foothills of heaven, and he's surrounded by ghosts. And what that means more than anything is that these people are transparent, they're, they're hollow, they're empty. And then out of the woods in front of them come a number of people that are solid, they're whole. And these are the people coming from heaven and they each know one of the ghosts from their life on earth and their job is to try and convince them to follow them into the hills where they will become more and more real. Now, before I say anything else, I wanna pause here and let you know that I'm aware that this story is not the most theologically accurate one that there is. So you don't have to tell me that later or anything. Uh, but I do love it, and the reason I'm telling you about it is because of a conversation between two of the characters in this book. It's a conversation that I still think about, even though it's actually been several years since I read this. I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes of their conversation here. You can just, uh, you can read along on the screen as I, I read it. I'm not going to do an accent or anything, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man. I don't say I had no faults, far from it, but I done my best all my life. I done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. If I took my wages, I done my job. That's the sort I was and I don't care who knows it. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was. I'm asking for nothing but my rights. I got to have my rights, same as you. He's talking to one of the solid, one of the, the whole people. And this is the response he gets. He says, oh no, it's not so bad as that. I haven't got my rights or I should not be here. 
You will not get yours either. You will get something far better, never fear. He says, you weren't a decent man. You didn't do your best. None of us were and none of us did. Lord bless you, it doesn't matter. There's no need to go into all that now. Now just kind of hold on to that. Just kind of keep that in the back of your mind because we're gonna come back to this story a little bit later. I want to share that conversation with you because it sets the stage well for basically what our main text today forces us to wrestle with when it comes to the nature of our relationship with Jesus. Hopefully by now you've all found your way to Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome and because he was a good student and he always did what his professors told him to, he wrote a thesis statement after a few introductory remarks. And uh, if after you graduated high school or if after you graduated college, you immediately blocked out anything uh, of that nature from your memory, I'll just remind you that all a thesis statement is, is it's just a brief summary that lets everyone know what the main point of whatever it is, whatever it is you're writing about, what the main point is. And because of that, if we're gonna spend any amount of time over the next several weeks looking at the book of Romans, we have to begin by spending time focused on these two verses because everything that Paul writes and everything that we're gonna read and study comes back to these verses in one way or another. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. As we do each week, I'm gonna ask you to please stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading these verses from the New Living Translation. You can follow along uh, in your Bibles or on the screen behind me, if you like. Romans 1, starting in verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You may be seated. We always ask for God to, re, uh, to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I love the way that a sentence in verse 17 is rendered in the New Living Translation when he just says, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. That's something else we're gonna come back to a little bit later. Well, we're gonna spend the majority of our time together today looking at these two verses, but because this is an introductory message to our series on Romans, there are a few things that we need to understand in order to help us uh, appreciate as best we can just what is going on in this letter. So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna look at, just for a few minutes, the author of Romans, the audience of Romans, and the announcement in Romans. That's gonna be verses 16 and 17. The author, the audience, and the announcement. So if you wanna take notes, you can write this down somewhere on a, a notepad or in a notebook. Number one, the author. The author. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome around 57 AD while he was uh, staying in the city of Corinth after an extended uh, period of ministry. He was on his way to the city of Jerusalem in order to give them offerings that he had collected over, uh, over you know, the course of several months on his, one of his missionary journeys. He was doing this because the church in Jerusalem was very poor and they were in need of financial help. But 
Because Paul had uh, something of a reputation, it's a nice way to say it, because he was a controversial figure to many, uh, he taught things people didn't like, he taught things about grace, he taught things about unity between Jewish people and Gentiles, and listen, those are just a couple of examples, but they're enough uh, to, give you, uh, to give him rather enemies on both the Jewish and Gentile side of things. There are people who didn't like Paul, but here's the deal. They didn't just not like Paul. There were people who thought that something needed to be done about Paul, that maybe the best thing that happened to Paul would for him to be silenced. And so while he's in Corinth, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Rome, but he realizes that there's a good chance that he's going to run into trouble while he's in Jerusalem. More than that, he realizes that he might not even make it out of the city alive. And so what he does while he's still in Corinth, as he writes this long letter to the church, to the believers in Rome. And the plan was for hopefully this letter to arrive about a year before he got there. These circumstances, we need to understand these circumstances that surrounded Paul while he wrote this letter because it's just one of the reasons why this letter of Romans reads the way that it does. And what I mean by that is, I mean that Paul wanted the Christians in Rome to know him and to know what he believed. He wanted them to have a fully developed summation of the gospel of Jesus, not just so that they would know what he believed, but so that they would know what it meant to follow Jesus. And this is why the book of Romans is so valuable and so comprehensive. Martin Luther had this to say about the book of Romans. He said, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Paul grew up with his Hebrew name, Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was named after Israel's first king. He was also born a Roman citizen in the city of Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the most important thing that we need to remember, and I know, I know you probably know this, but the most important thing that we need to remember about Paul is that he was a Pharisee before he was converted, before he began to follow Jesus. He was a leading man in the strictest Jewish sect there was, highly religious highly obedient. The best way, maybe the simplest way to say it is that Paul was a rule follower. Anyone here a rule follower today? Now, the reason that I bring this up, even though, like I said, most of you, maybe all of you are familiar with this in one way or another, especially if you've spent any amount of time in church, is because one of the things that we see in Paul's life is the power of the gospel to change a person's heart. And this is because the Paul that we see when we read the letter of Romans, or any of his letters, for that matter, to be perfectly honest, is a far cry from the Paul that we see as a Pharisee. And the power of the gospel to change not just a person's behavior, but their belief is a key theme in the book of Romans. And it's a theme, it's, it's something that Paul experienced firsthand in his own life. And so that's why we need to understand it and appreciate it and recognize the significance of what he has to say so much of the time, especially in this letter to the church in Rome. This letter is personal, it's practical, it's theological. And these are just some of the reasons why it's so important for us to study it. Number two, the audience. 
the audience. This one's really short, so don't worry. The audience that Paul wrote to was simply the church, the believers in the city of Rome. Now, of course, we know, even if we're not, you know, big history buffs or anything like that, we know that this is still no small thing. Rome was the capital and most important city of the most important empire in the world. We don't have a clear picture of just who it was that founded the city, or not the city, uh, the church in Rome. Uh, Many people believe it was a believer who was converted on the day of Pentecost. We know that people traveled uh, from all over and were a part of that experience. Unlike other letters that Paul wrote, like his, letter, uh, his letters to the church in uh, Corinth or his letter to the Galatians, for example, uh, he didn't write to the believers in Rome in order to correct bad theology or to try and correct bad behavior. And what this means is that it kind of paints a picture for us of a church that, for the most part, seems to have a pretty sound understanding of the faith. But that being said, they still wanted more, they still needed more, as we all do. The letter that Paul writes to them is mostly doctrine, so it dealt with what to believe. But we also know, and we'll see firsthand, that it wasn't all just intellectual, the things that he wrote about, because as we study this letter of Romans, we're gonna see that it's a very practical letter. Paul, he wants his audience in Rome to understand you know, how to live together, how, how to have peace in their relationships with each other, how to strive for things like unity and holiness at the same time. And even though we're not the original audience that Paul was writing to, we can still benefit a great deal from these themes. We can still be challenged by them. We can still be motivated by them. We can still be encouraged by them in our own lives. So that's the audience. Number three, the announcement. The announcement. I'm gonna read our main passage of scripture one more time. And then I'm gonna tell you what I believe the most important thing is that we need to understand about these verses. One more time, Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Okay, this is the main thing that we need to understand today when it comes to this passage of scripture, when it comes to the the main theme for the book of Romans, the thesis statement for the book of Romans, you know, whatever you want to call it. When it comes to the start of this new series, we need to understand that the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Now, here's the deal. This is not original to me. I've heard this before. I've read this before. There's a good chance that some of you here today or some of you watching have heard this or read this before as well. But to be perfectly honest, I don't really care about being clever right now. I don't really care about being original right now because this is the thing that we need to understand as we prepare for this series in Romans. The gospel is good news, not good advice. And this is because, and we know this, you know this, there is a drastic difference, and I mean drastic. There's a drastic difference between someone who comes to you and tells you that they have good news for you and someone who comes to you and tells you that they have good advice for you. We all know that. We all know that's true. But the reason that I want to take a few minutes to talk about this is because so much of the time what happens 
What happens so much of the time is that we take the good news of the gospel and we live like it's just good advice. And here's what I mean when I say that, to be perfectly honest. What I mean is that we make it all about us. It's all about what we need to do, all about how we need to live so that we can experience a relationship with Jesus. You know, we take it seriously. We change our behavior. We're, we're kind, we're selfless, we're generous, we're humble. These are not bad things. In fact, these are all things that make our families, our communities, even our, our world as a whole better. But here's the deal. If you hear the gospel of what Jesus has done for you and you behave like it's just good advice for how you should live and how you should think and how you should treat others and what you should do, then you've missed the gospel because it's not advice, it's news. It's an announcement that something has happened that changes everything. So don't confuse the power of God with the advice of God. Earlier I told you that one of the reasons I, I love our text today, especially the way that uh, it's rendered in the New Living Translation is because of a sentence in verse 17 that says, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And this is because faith is the heart of the gospel of Jesus. It means that we become righteous through faith. It means that we're saved through faith. It means that we find life in God through faith. Everything that connects us to God, everything that is a mark of the Christian life is first and foremost lived in a life of faith. And it's not a faith in what we can do. You know, this isn't a situation where we're all like, you know, the little engine that could just going up the hill of life saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. This is a faith in what has been done for us. What has been done for us? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Our, our salvation, our identity, our, our hope is not based on how well we follow the advice of God. It's based on how the good news of God impacts our standing in Christ, because in Christ we have been made new. We have been made into a new creation. And listen, Paul, over the course of this letter, he's going to talk a lot about our behavior. He's going to talk a lot about, you know, the practical reality of what it means to live life as a believer in this world. But he doesn't start with our behavior. He starts with our belief. He starts with our faith. Because even though behavior is important, and listen, it is. Even though behavior is important, the reality is so much of the time, behavior is shallow, but belief is deep. Behavior is shallow, but belief is deep. And listen, I didn't say the behavior doesn't matter. I did not say the behavior doesn't matter, because it does. We all know what it's like to be impacted in good ways and bad ways by the behavior of other people. And we all know what it's like to impact other people in good ways and bad ways by our own behavior. But, but when it comes to our faith, when it comes to how we view the gospel, our behavior is shallow, but our belief is deep. That's why we tend so much of the time to focus on behavior in our lives and in the lives of others. Uh, think about this. 
I don't know if when, you know, when you had small kids at home or if you're, you know, dealing with small children right now, but, you know, have you ever had to go somewhere with small kids and then just immediately regretted it? I mean, immediately. The moment you get out of the car, the moment you walk into the store, whatever it is, you immediately regret that decision. You have to run an errand. It's just there's one thing, you know, I've been in this situation. We just got to go to the store to get one thing real quick, in and out, no problem. Never works out that way. Well, you know, what do you do when you get there? Well, you want your kids to behave. You want them to be on their best behavior. So, so how do you handle that? I feel like, you, you know, one of two options here. Do you, do you get down on your knee in front of them and, and you look them in the eye and you say, now listen, we're gonna go in this store and there's gonna be a lot of people there and there's gonna be a lot of things going on. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look deep into your heart and think about what you believe about trust. And I want you to think about what you believe about safety and what you believe about the nature of our relationship. And I know, I know when you do that, everything's gonna be fine. Is that what you do? Or do you look at them and you say, stick to me, don't touch anything, don't be loud, and don't talk to strangers? I mean, hypothetically, maybe. (laughs) Something like that. Why do we do that? Why do we focus on behavior more than anything else? It's because it's shallow. It's something that we can control so much of the time. But it's crucial because... You know, behavior, just because someone's behavior changes doesn't mean that their beliefs do. And you know that this is true because let's say, you know, you're in this, you're in that situation. You're at the store with your kids and someone comes up to you and say, man, your kids, they're, they're, they're so good. They're behaving so well. They're just little angels. And you're going to look at that person. You're going to say, thank you. But in your heart, you're going to be thinking, oh, no, they're not. (laughs) If you only knew the threats that went in to this trip to the store, You would know that just because their behavior was, you know, good in that moment didn't necessarily change your belief about them or their belief about what mattered. Now, I know, I know that that's not a perfect illustration. It may not even be a a great illustration, but uh, the reality is so many people in the church, even people who've been in the church their whole lives, they focus on behavior more than anything else. And like I said, and I'll say it again, it's behavior is important. Behavior does matter. But there's a reason that Paul sets the tone in this letter by talking about the good news of God and how it changes our standing with God and not the good advice of God and how it changes our behavior. Paul's gonna spend a lot of time talking to the believers in Rome about their behavior, but before he does any of that, he reminds them of what they should believe about the gospel. And you know, we could talk about why this matters and why this is important, but I'm gonna use just a little bit of guesswork. I honestly don't think it's much of a stretch and say that the reason Paul writes this way is because he knows what it's like to live a shallow life based on behavior, He knows what it's like to be a rule follower. He knows what it's like to be a Pharisee and have, you know, the ability to say, I did everything the way I was supposed to do, but still have a heart that was so wrong. He doesn't want that for the believers in Rome. He doesn't want that for any believers anywhere. I I don't want that. I don't want a, a shallow life. I don't want a shallow life for you. I hope that you don't want a shallow life. So that's an important thing we need to understand. And so what I wanna do for the rest of the time that we have left is just look at our main text, just those two verses. 
and focus on a couple of parts, just a couple of phrases that I really believe are worth noticing. These are things that we need to remember as best we can each week as we journey through this letter of Romans. Paul writes in verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Now, why does he take the time to tell us that he is not ashamed of the gospel? Well, I think the only reason you do that is because you know that there are people who are. You know that there are people who are ashamed of the gospel. Okay, he says that the reason he is unashamed is because he understands that the gospel is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Let me ask you a question. Why would anyone be ashamed of that? Because we're kidding ourselves if if we think that there's not people who are, okay? All over the world, all walks of life, all income levels, all political backgrounds, however you want to categorize or classify people, there are people who are ashamed and offended by the gospel. One reason for that is if you focus on behavior more than belief, then the gospel is going to bother you, it's going to offend you because, and this is the easiest way for me to say it, it's just not fair, It's just not fair. Uh, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 20 about this landowner and he has this field and he needs people to work it. So he goes out in the morning and he hires people for a day's work. He gets them started and he goes back out later in the day and he hires more people and he gets them started and he goes back out even later in the day and he just does that all throughout the day until basically the day is almost over. And even then he goes out and he hires more people and he brings them back to his field so that they can work. Then after it's over, he lines everybody up whether they'd been there from the very beginning of the day or if they just showed up and he pays them all the exact same thing. Now, even now, even now, I have a feeling there are people who hear this and and you're familiar with this and you know, we know the way that we're supposed to feel. We know the way that we're supposed to think. We know the right answer to this parable, but there's just a part of us that's like, "Mm, it just kind of bothers me a little bit. You know, you work, you work longer, you work harder. Shouldn't you be worthy of more money? Doesn't that just make sense? But that's not how the gospel works. That's not how God works. One of the things that makes the gospel so powerful and salvation so wonderful is that there is no score There is no score that is being kept. There's no worthiness being earned. There is only grace. Only grace. And grace is the only thing that can truly change your life. It's the only thing that can truly change your life. But this makes people uncomfortable because in the game of life, grace breaks the rules. Grace breaks all the rules that we're supposed to live by in this game of life. And that's what makes it so powerful and so wonderful. But it's also why it's a stumbling block for so many people. You know, we keep score in our lives so often, and even if we're not, you know, bold enough to to really think this way explicitly, but we keep score so much of the time in our lives because we want God to owe us for our good behavior. But God does not keep score, and he gives us grace because he doesn't want to owe us. He wants to own us. He wants to own our hearts. And that's what grace has the power to do to capture you in a way that nothing else can. I want to go back to that conversation we looked at a little bit in the beginning of our time from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. 
We have the ghost. He's still talking to the, to the, the solid man, the solid person who's trying to convince him to follow him into the hills of heaven. And over the course of their conversation, you realize as you read it that one of the main reasons why this ghost, he just can't bring himself to listen to this person who is trying to help him, trying to get him to repent, trying to get him to see the light. He can't bring himself to do it because he has kept score. The ghost has kept score. There's a little bit of a a little bit of 1945, because that's when it was written, uh, English slang. That's the only way that I can think of to describe it in this uh, section. So it's going to sound a little strange, but I still think you're going to be able to follow along and understand what's going on. Let's take another look at this. It's the ghost speaking again. He can't believe that this person he knew from his old life has been let into heaven. He says, that may do very well for you, I dare say, if they choose to let in a bloody murderer all because he makes a poor mouth at the last moment. That's their lookout. But I don't see myself going in the same boat as you. Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man, and if I had my rights, I'd have been here long ago, and you can tell them I said so. The other shook his head and said, you can never do it like that. You can never do it like that. When we read... Romans 1, verse 16, we, we see the word power there. This word power is the Greek word dunamis. And it's where we get our English word for dynamite. And I love this because it, it points to the power of the gospel in our world. You know, it's this message that, that bothers people and offends people that doesn't make sense to so many people. And yet, it persists. It doesn't just persist, it changes lives because this speaks to the power of the gospel in our lives to change us in a way that nothing else can. It's the only power able to overcome our sinful nature and to give us a new life. Paul, he wants the believers in Rome, you know, this, for that day and age, this gigantic city, the most powerful and most influential city and the most powerful and most influential empire in the world, he wants the believers in Rome to understand that none of that matters compared to the power of the gospel. To not just understand this news, but to embrace it. Not just treat it like advice. Not just think, oh, this is going to help me live a better life. But to understand that this is going to give me a new life. Listen, authentic, genuine faith is always going to produce obedience. The gospel will always change the way that we behave. But ultimately, it's not about making us behave better. It's about saving our lives. That's something that we need to understand. Verse 17, he says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I wanna look just real quick at the very beginning of this verse when he says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is righteousness, which is a word that means right with God. And the most important thing that we need to understand about this, and it runs parallel to everything that I've been talking to you about today, is that this righteousness is not about a behavior, but about a standing. And what does that mean? It means that the gospel changes the nature of our relationship with God. It changes the very nature of our relationship with God. 
when, when we believe the good news that there is a God who is perfect and holy and he wants to have a relationship with us, even though we're sinful and separate from him. So he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative and sends his son to experience the punishment that we deserved so that we could experience the status that his son deserved. It changes our standing with God. It changes the nature of our relationship with God. You see, God does not start shallow with our behavior. He doesn't begin by saying, first do this, first do this, first do that, first do that. He goes straight for the heart. Straight for the heart. And once our relationship with him has changed, the gospel works its way out into every area of our lives so that everything, and listen, we say this here, Everything changes because we believe that the gospel changes everything. I hope you believe that. Paul wanted to make sure that the church in Rome believed that. Because when we believe that everything about who we are, how we, how we think, how we speak, how we act, it's all going to change. But if we still just stay in the shallows or if going back to our illustration from C.S. Lewis's book, if we still just hold on to our rights, we're going to miss out. I want to go back to the story one last time, and this is how, this is how we're going to close. Real quick, one more, one more example from this book. This is the ghost talking again. He says, I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do at once ask for the bleeding charity everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought we're going to cover a lot of different things in this series on Romans we're going to we're going to look at a lot of practical aspects of our faith and you know how to live our lives but before we do any of that we have to realize that any hope that we have to change it comes from the power of the gospel and it doesn't happen from the outside in. It works its way from the inside out. And only when we let the gospel bury itself deep into our hearts, when we don't keep it in the shallows of our lives, only then will we be able to truly change and witness and grow and minister in a way that glorifies and honors God. And if you're here today and you're... You're focused on your behavior and, and that's what matters most to you and, and you're focused on your rights and, and you know, you know that you've just been kind of staying in the shallows of things. Don't leave. Don't leave without experiencing the grace of God in your life because it's the only thing that can truly, truly change you. Change you.